The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. someone you know has a child with autism in their family, answers and support can be hard to come by. Welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio with host Dr. Bill Freya. We will offer practical information for parents of children of all ages, as well as explore treatment topics and recent research related to autism. Now, here is Dr. Bill Freya. And welcome to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm Dr. Bill Freya, your host for the hour. I'm a clinical psychologist and the co-founder of Autism Spectrum Therapies, a national agency providing resources and services to individuals of all ages who are living with autism spectrum disorders, as well as other developmental issues. I want to thank you for joining me today. Each week, I have the pleasure of welcoming a different guest for a conversation that relates to the world of autism. This week, we'll be talking to Dr. Travis Thompson about ABA treatments and particularly the blending of ABA approaches to create individualized programs. We've had some terrific guests on Autism Spectrum Radio. If you have missed any of them, you can always go to the AST website and visit the radio show page. You can hear my discussions with folks such as our special education legal expert, Michael Jewell, regarding the IEP process and how to prepare. And if you missed last week's show on school-wide positive behavior support, you really have to go to the radio page and listen to it. Dr. Rob Horner was a phenomenal guest, and the feedback was overwhelmingly positive. And I'm sure a lot of parents went to their schools and asked about positive behavior support after that. So you can go to autismtherapies.com and take a listen. Uh, you can also find the schedule for our upcoming shows and mark your calendar. Get some questions to us that you'd like to hear me ask. We are winding down the month of April, which means that Autism Spectrum Therapies is in the final days of its AST's Autism Hero Contest. You still have time to nominate a parent that you know, someone who's doing something remarkable for their son or daughter. And we all know that parents are the true unsung heroes in our community, and Autism Spectrum Therapies wants to honor 20 parents with a spa day. For all that they do. So nominate someone. You can go to the AST Facebook page and click on the contest link to enter, and we'll be announcing the names of those winners next week. I have personally known hundreds of parents of children with autism and have seen how hard their job is. It's difficult to manage the daily demands that all parents have, and in addition, the increasingly difficult demands of having a child on the autism spectrum. And then they have the overwhelming decisions to make, such as the right school program, uh, the right service agencies. It just goes on and on. So we're devoting this show to the challenges of understanding the different options in the realm of applied behavior analysis, or ABA services. For those of you who aren't familiar with ABA, applied behavior analysis, in a nutshell, is the science of human learning. And the methods of ABA are used in many different areas of society, but have really taken hold in the teaching of individuals on the autism spectrum. So from intensive early intervention classroom programs, social skills instruction, behavior supports, transitions to adulthood, residential supports, all of that, the research on the effectiveness of ABA approaches is significant. 
and parents are asked to make many choices across the different developmental stages. So understanding the evidence-based approach, uh, evidence-based approaches is critical. And ABA methods are generally accepted as the most empirically validated clinical options that you have. Uh, yet it's still confusing to many professionals and parents. And what makes it even more challenging is the fact that pediatricians don't get an education on what ABA is, and neither do most developmental psychologists or psychiatrists who evaluate the children. Most speech pathologists know what it is, but don't have a working understanding of the options or methods. So the professionals that are often the first to give advice and directions to parents typically don't know much or anything about ABA treatments. So where ABA sits on the overall scheme of an individual's service delivery needs can be perplexing for a lot of different reasons. And what makes it harder for parents is that ABA is just an umbrella term for the field. There's not an ABA treatment. There are many different evidence-based treatment approaches underneath that ABA umbrella. A lot of different effective tools, all of which are ABA treatments. The field of applied behavior analysis is, is a complicated one for people to understand. It's heavily steeped in science with its own terminologies. It has its, its own certification. It can be challenging to understand. The ABA therapies that our kids with autism benefit from today are rooted in research that was started in the 1960s. A student of that research and one of the several people who were working with children with disabilities at that time was Dr. Ivar Lovas. And Lovas focused on ABA methods for children uh, with autism. And that was his life's work. He's mostly known for a subset of ABA technology for kids with autism called discrete trial interventions or discrete trial therapy. And he's so much known for that that a lot of parents will mistakenly refer to discrete trial teaching as the Lovas approach, even though a lot of discrete trial work is, is different than what he was doing. But discrete trial continues to be used today in different forms. And I want to uh, say it's a very effective intervention, but there are also many other ABA methods that are also effective in their own way for different reasons, many, many of them. And one thing I'd like to say up front as it may get lost in our hours is that I have enormous respect for the work of Ivar Lovas. He changed the world for individuals with autism, and he believed they could learn when nobody else did. And he's the reason you're listening to me right now. So we, we lost Ivar less than two years ago, and at a memorial last year, I heard my mentor, Dr. Bob Cagle, discuss his personal experience with the legend that is Ivar uh, and the things that they were doing in the 70s, the work they were doing, and the character that uh, Ivar was. Uh, he's just uh, an enormous figure in our field, and hearing people talk about their stories is is always wonderful. I encourage you to either Google, Wikipedia, whatever you'd like, to find out more about Ivar and, and his life. It was an amazing one. And I had the pleasure of knowing Ivar Lovas. He was a, a very warm, funny man. Uh, one fond memory I have with him was he and I were having lunch together at UCLA once. He called me and said, come over, let me buy you lunch. And he did this every now and then, and I always jumped on the chance to spend time with him because uh, he was a great storyteller. He was he was in a very nostalgic mood that particular day, and he wanted to tell stories of his experiences treating children with autism back in the day. It wasn't unusual for him. He was a famous storyteller. And within his stories were the themes of what he believed in, and he was, he was always teaching when he was telling stories. He was always in-depth, and he always had a message. And when he was doing his experimentation on how to treat autism, he was working in some uncharted territory. Ivar used what he had available to demonstrate that children with autism could learn, and he was on a mission. In his early work, he, he used the tools of ABA at the time, and, and some of that was punishment. Uh, 
and that was used to decrease self-stimulatory behavior, avoidant behavior, challenging behavior. He was trying to create opportunities to teach, to get in there, and, and, and as they did at that time. And we don't we don't use punishment anymore uh, at this time. Uh, it's it's rare in the field of ABA. And what he was doing at that time was was opening doors to teach and demonstrate that his work should be funded, that it was important, that it could be successful, that there was a lot of hope. And this was at a time when many, if not most, professionals were blaming parents for causing autism. It was a very bleak, a very dark time. And he was expressing to me how he always had to struggle with people who did not understand what the 1960s and what the 1970s were like for individuals with autism. When institutionalization was common, it was very bleak. And the hope that Ivar Lovas was providing was new and it was powerful. And he was learning as he was teaching and developing techniques. Um, but there's this aspect of his legacy that, that there was punishment that not only distracts from his larger accomplishments, but also distracts from the importance of ABA interventions because some people still think that we use aversives or punishments in the field frequently, and that's it's really not the case. Last week's guest, Dr. Robert Horner, was part of the work that started 25 years ago that documented how we no longer rely on aversives much even for challenging behavior. So the lion's share of Lovas's legacy is his fight to show that our children can learn and that some could overcome their autism, go to their home school, be fully included in regular ed, have friends, uh, develop careers, have families. And, and that, that's just incredible, the work that he done at a time, he was doing at a time that nobody was really focused on that. His students and colleagues went on to create more modern approaches and technologies that included the play-based approaches we'll talk about a bit today and social skills treatments and much of what we think of the evidence base of autism interventions today. And over the past 20 years, there's been some confusion, a bit of fighting and encampment around what methods are better. And this has certainly improved dramatically in recent years as different camps have agreed to accept the importance of each other's work. And I think we're in a better time. But I would do want to paint a very quick, very oversimplified, but hopefully a, a useful picture of the differences. And I'm going to have a bit of exaggeration here, but it'll help create the setting for today's discussion with Dr. Travis Thompson. And It'll be helpful to think of it as, as really two distinct camps, even though it's not true. There's maybe a highly structured, discrete trial camp and this play-based naturalistic camp. And the folks in that structured camp think that maybe discrete trials are the quickest, most effective way to teach. It may be true. And they think that the play, the loosey-goosey methods that are used in play-based approaches provide fewer teaching opportunities and take longer and aren't as effective and and the like. And it does provide fewer teaching opportunities, that's true. The play-based camp might argue that DTT results in poor generalization because the kids are taught in a way that's not natural. When they leave the teaching session, the skills stay behind, they don't make sense to them in the real world, because the kids are already vulnerable to this given their reliance on predictability and sameness. So if they're taught in a structured environment, that's how they believe they're supposed to be interacting using those skills. So what is the answer? And certainly some kids do need more structure. They need things broken down for them. A discrete trial is ideal for that. And some kids might do best in a more motivational, naturalistic uh, approach, such as pivotal response teaching that Dr. Lynn Cagle will be talking to us about next week. Um, some kids, many kids need a blend of those approaches. So uh, here's what might be the secret. The, the play-based folks are incorporating plenty of discrete trials when needed. Uh, they're behavior analysts. They understand when things need to be broken down. And the DTT folks are using naturalistic teaching methods for a lot of their kids and uh, for a lot of their sessions. So there have been some blending over time, uh, but no established 
way of doing it, no agreed upon prescriptive way of planning how much of each method should be used for any particular child. So they're using the tools they have, these very powerful empirically validated ABA tools, uh, in the way that they, they believe is best fit for a child's, particular child's needs. And, and that's what might be complicated. The different terms for ABA, uh, the different things that parents have to learn to know what's best for their child. Travis Thompson, our guest today, has been looking into this, and he'll discuss it in some detail uh, with us today. And he has a book out that goes into it that we'll talk about later on. But he has won more awards than I could name, and he's won more grant funding than I could count. And he's mentored some of the most talented researchers in our field. So I'm very much looking forward to having him as our guest. I'm very honored he agreed to come onto Autism Spectrum Radio. And like our guest last week, I'm comfortable saying that Travis is a legend in his own time. His work is phenomenal. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, We'll be right back with my guest, Dr. Travis Thompson. So please stay tuned with us as we discuss blended ABA treatments for autism. Stay tuned. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Need to replace aging IT infrastructure? Want a way to scale IT resources on demand? Looking for affordable disaster recovery alternatives? Then maybe the cloud is for you. If you aren't sure where or how to start, CenterBeam can help. Over the past decade, we've moved hundreds of clients to the cloud and for a limited time are offering a 25% discount on a cloud readiness assessment. It includes detailed recommendations for your transition to the cloud and is yours to keep. Call 877-710-8880 or visit centerbeam.com forward slash voice America. Autism Spectrum Therapies is proud to present Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. At AST, we are committed to supporting families through our extensive resources, highly trained staff, and outstanding programs. Call us today to let us know how we can best support your family at 866-278-1520. To find out more about AST, visit our website at www.autismtherapies.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Autism Spectrum Therapies, creating futures for individuals with autism. Visit AutismTherapies.com or call 866-278-1520. Everyone deserves a life filled with happiness, confidence, and achievements. Code Metro, developers of NPA Works Business Management Software, is proud to partner with Autism Spectrum Therapies and its efforts in creating futures for individuals with autism. To fulfill our duties, we promise a special needs product that helps organizations operate efficiently, providing them with a business system that evolves as rapidly as they do. The results? A streamlined practice to help maintain quality services. Discover how we help businesses succeed at NPAWorks.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. 
Now, back to the program. And welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. I am your host, Dr. Bill Freya, and today we're discussing ABA treatments, particularly blended treatments. My guest today is Dr. Travis Thompson. Dr. Thompson is a graduate faculty member in the Special Education Program at the University of Minnesota, where he's affiliated with the Autism Certificate Program. He is a fellow in the Association of Behavioral Analysis and was past president of the Behavioral Pharmacology Society, the Division of Psychopharmacology and Substance Abuse. Dr. Thompson has published 235 journal articles and chapters, wow, as well as 30 books. That's 30 through zero. Travis has spoken in over 47 states and 15 countries on topics related to autism and other developmental disabilities, so he probably has a lot to share. We should get to that. Tom, uh, actually, I want to share that uh, Dr. Dr. Thompson and his wife, Annika, have four adult children and seven grandchildren, one of whom, Michael, has an autism spectrum disorder, and we'll hopefully talk a bit about that today. So, Dr. Thompson, how are you doing today? Great. It's a great day back here in Minnesota. We've got a lot of sunshine and... 70 degrees. That sounds beautiful. Uh, let's dive into the topic of, uh, maybe start with a broader topic of autism and, and the information that we have. You probably, like me, when you're, when you're giving presentations, will have questions about uh, what we know about autism and why there seems to be so little information about autism still. How do you usually respond to that? Well, it's an interesting perception. Uh, in uh, 1991, <clears throat> I did a literature search. There were 150 journal articles uh, published on autism in scientific journals. That's 150. Uh, last year, in 2011, there were 2,200 journal articles on autism. Wow. Uh, this is one of the most rapidly growing areas in scientific research, not just in the U.S., but throughout the world. That's like a 15-fold increase in uh, research activities. And it's not just a matter of numbers. Uh, there was a study done back in the 70s where they followed kids from you know, early childhood to adulthood to see how they came out. And about 1% to 2% of the kids ended up functioning more or less in the typical range by the time they were young adults. Today, uh, kids who go through intensive early behavioral intervention in one form or another, uh, 50% of them, not 1% or 2%, 50% of them, are going to school with their peers by the time they're in elementary or middle school, and many of them go on to high school and some go on to college. I mean, it's a it's a world of difference. <clears throat> so there's been a great deal accomplished, and uh, you know that's just in the behavioral sciences. You know, there's enormous progress being made in genetics and and brain science as well. So, you know, what I can say to people is there is no cure yet. Uh, but there's no cure for cancer or heart disease or diabetes or epilepsy either. Uh, those are all conditions that we learn to manage, and uh, we can certainly improve the functionality of people, and I think the same is true in the area of autism. Right. And it might be that because there is more and more coming out, that people's expectations raise as well, and, and the assumption is that we should learn more and more. I guess that's in some ways a good thing, and especially with, with interventions, like you said, we should probably talk about effective interventions that's an expertise of yours and what are the most effective interventions and and how do you how do you put them all together well in your your lead in you you set the scene very well um you know ivar lovas's discrete trial method that he developed back in in originally in the 60s and then tested in 1987 
you know, that was kind of the prototype for everything else. But that's true in all areas of science. I mean, when a new treatment gets developed, it's usually a very specific treatment. And then pretty soon people find out, you know, you didn't need to do it exactly that way. You could do it some different ways depending on the individual. And nowadays we have a wide range of interventions from entirely discrete trial, highly structured to entirely naturalistic, uh, play-based type interventions and all kinds of variations in between. And we, uh, the organization I worked with, the Minnesota Early Autism Project, uh, it's called MEAP, M-E-A-P, if you want to look it up online, uh, we, we use what we call the blended intervention, which basically means that we, we do an assessment and we try to figure out what combination of which types of assessment or which types of intervention are likely to be most effective for this particular child. And for one child, it may be 10% discrete trial and 50% blended and uh, 40% uh, totally naturalistic. So that gets tailor-made for each individual child. Uh, and, you know, the outcomes are very good. And we, we, we've had about two-thirds of our kids ending up in regular education classrooms after one to three years. Wow. So it, it, it can be very effective. I think the field has to move in the direction of greater individualization. I mean, there are a number of people, we're not the only ones, there are a number of people who are doing that. Uh, some out, you know, your neck of the woods, the Kegels and the Laura Schreiber and, uh, and others. So, you know, that's, that's the way it's going to be in the future. Um, and you referenced them. Was it uh, when you were doing the more play-based or naturalistic approach? Was it something like pivotal response training that you were doing? Yeah, it's very similar to pivotal response training. Uh, it, it's a very difficult type of intervention to do well, and, and the reason is I always liken it to if you're doing therapy with a child using a play-based method, it's very easy to lose track of what you're doing and just play with the child. And uh, therapy is more than playing with a child. It's doing very specific, carefully crafted things while you're playing with a child. And it's kind of like if you're riding a bicycle down the hill, you know, you don't have time to think about, do I put, put my right foot first or do I lean this way or that way? <laughs> you simply have to know all the little details, and they have to be so ingrained that you just do them automatically. And that's the way it is with a, a play-based naturalistic intervention. Uh, it's very easy for an outsider to come in and say, well, that's nice, you're playing with the child. Well, actually, we're not just playing with the child. <laughs> but we're doing a very cra- carefully crafted intervention. I mean, I could show you the score sheets we use to to monitor whether we're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And, you know, like there are 25 different items in one play session. So it's a lot more than just, you know, having fun and games. Right. Yeah, and we'll we'll hear that as well at AST. Where parents will say, "Well, they're they're playing so great. They're such great play partners." And and I'll think, you know, that therapist is working her butt off. <laughs> she's yeah, she's got right. so much going on right now. So many different goals to track. So much to take data on. Uh, trying to trying to make sure that she captures every learning opportunity. It it really is a lot of work. I I, I appreciate that as well. Um, but there, you know, because I think they're all these successes, and, and parents and professionals are excited about the treatment opportunities for kids with autism today. There are a lot of new treatments coming on. A lot of different folks taking the opportunity to to develop a, a new treatment, and it's confusing for parents. And uh, how should parents respond to the to the fact that there being new treatments are being introduced to them all the time? I think they should respond the same way they would be to any other treatment, like in medicine. If 
if somebody came to you and said, we have this new surgical procedure uh, for some condition, <clears throat> you would certainly want to know, has this ever been done before? Has it been tested with how many people? What do the outcomes look like? Uh, or is this the only doctor who's ever done this before? And actually, he's never done it uh, and on, oh, except for one or two patients. So, you know, you really want to have evidence of, of effectiveness using standard methods of, of evaluating outcomes. It's sort of like, you know, people say, well, my neighbor said uh, I should try treatment X or treatment Y, and they said they had a world of success with their child. Well, if you had a brain tumor, would you ask your neighbor how you should treat your brain tumor? I mean, that doesn't right. make very much. That doesn't make very much sense. I mean, uh, I think we should have the same kind of sort of tough-mindedness and rigorousness, and and demanding that there be good evidence for efficacy. Um, you know, there's really a lot at stake. I mean, I think sometimes we get the impression. I, I've had parents come to me and tell me their pediatrician said uh, they asked their pediatrician, "Well, what therapy should we get?" and they said, well, you know, we could try a little bit of this, and we could try a little bit of that, a little bit of OT, a little sensory integration, some RDI, some teach, maybe even some behavior analysis. And the implication to the parent is, well, it's, it's all kind of the same. It doesn't really matter. Well, it, it matters a heck of a lot, actually. It matters enormously which ones you choose to do. And the worst thing in the world you can do is kind of jump around from one to the other. What you really need to do is focus on something that has strong evidence behind it, and that fits with you and your family and your, your routine, and that you're able to carry, participate as partners in carrying out the, this procedure. And once you do that, you're going to be surprised at how well your child will do. Uh, but you can't mm -hmm. get there. I can tell you this. You cannot get there by jumping around from one to the other to the other. That just doesn't pay off. Right. Well said. And I think the analogy to cancer is a good one in some ways because uh, the alternatives are very seductive in, in the sense that they, you know, they appear to, to work quickly and mysteriously. And even folks who are doing, you know, state-of-the-art cancer treatments are often doing homeopathic and other things kind of hedge their bets as well. Yeah, so that's yeah. a good analogy. Yeah, now, well, you know, it's, uh, I had a mother one time, a professional mother, tell me that she was going to try some very unusual treatment, a dietary treatment, uh, for her son with uh, Down syndrome. And um, I said, well, you know, that's that's been untested, and, and there's no evidence. What, what there is known is it's not very effective. And her reaction was, well, what can we lose? Well, uh, and the, the problem is, if what can we lose? If you stop what you're doing, which takes a long time to be effective, it'll take three to six months or a year or more sometimes, uh, and you say, well, we're going to stop doing that, and we're going to go and do this other thing, then you're never going to get there. I mean, you really have to make a commitment. You know, that, that, that's, there's evidence that the single strongest predictor of a child outcome, in, in addition to the therapy and, and the child characteristics, is how much commitment the parent has to the intervention. Right. If, if the parents and are committed, committed to it, hang in there, stick with it, then the payoff is inevitably a lot. So. Right. And... You know, kind of referencing the, the emotional aspect that the family goes through, when you were already an established behavioral expert, your grandson was diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder. What effect right. did that have on you? Well, you know, it was kind of very strange, Bill. I, I had some people who heard that our, our grandson Michael had autism uh, tell me how sorry they were. 
and they, they, they kind of, they wanted to comfort me. And, and my reaction was, well, well, why should I feel sorry? I mean, to be sure, I would have, it would have been a lot easier for Michael if he didn't have autism. But uh, the reality is I, there was nothing to feel sorry for. He's just another little kid. And, you know, he's like a kid who needs to wear glasses or, you know, has a motor problem or maybe has ADHD. He's just a kid and he's got some interesting challenges, but uh, there's nothing to feel sorry for. The other thing was that Michael and his mom and his brother and sister came to live with us for about three months when they were looking for an apartment. And um, I'll tell you, it's a world of difference between uh, living with a, a child with autism and being a professor, professor and a professional uh, who teaches about it and even works with the children because it's just a, a relentless difference. And I, I really appreciated very much how challenging it was for Michael, how the world for him was very confusing and disorderly and unpredictable. And uh, it was, uh, people were always opening their mouth and saying words, and he wasn't too sure what they meant, but he knew he was supposed to understand them, but he didn't understand them. And so, you know, life was pretty difficult. And then the other thing I, I came to appreciate more than I ever had before is how relentless it is to parent a child with autism. I mean, yeah. there, there is absolutely never, ever, ever a downtime. Uh, you know, you're always on the go. You're always looking. If your child is out of your sight, you wonder what's he into now. What's you know what's going on? I got. Then if you decide, you know, your your family's the husband and wife or partners are going to go out for the evening. Well, where in the world are you going to get babysitter? Right, right. It's not easy to get a to be get a babysitter who will care for a, a young child with autism so it's um it's very yeah. different living with it and and even being a professional where i would see the kid regularly several times a week so yeah right. it just certainly opened my eyes great well travis let's take a quick break and uh, we'll pick this up when we get back and uh, we'll be right back with Travis Thompson. And if you have any questions, go ahead and post them to our Facebook page or email them to autismtherapies.com. We'll try to work those in. Uh, we'll be right back with Dr. Thompson. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. At Autism Training Solutions, we know what it's like to work with children with autism. And we know what professional development can do for a school, a child, and a family. That is why we want to give 50 schools in the U.S. access to ATS professional development for a whole year. All you need to do is tell us how ATS would make a difference for your team in a one-minute video or a 500-word essay. For a complete set of rules, visit AutismTrainingSolutions.com backslash contest. Shepard Mullen Richter in Hampton is a proud supporter of Autism Spectrum Therapies. Shepard Mullen is a full-service law firm with more than 570 attorneys in 14 offices located in the United States, Europe, and Asia. Companies turn to Shepard Mullen to handle corporate and technology matters, high-stakes litigation, and complex financial transactions. For more information, please visit shepardmullen.com. BDO is dedicated to service, from serving our clients to serving the communities in which we live and work. Through BDO Counts, 
Our national corporate volunteer program, employees across the country volunteer their time, talent, and resources for the good of local communities. And now, BDO is proud to support Autism Spectrum Therapies. We believe in doing our best to make the world a little better. That's why people who know community involvement know BDO. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Freya, and we're talking to Dr. Travis Thompson. And Travis, the numbers that you were quoting were just amazing, going from a two percent rate of treatment leading to typical uh, typical functioning to fifty percent of children being able to be fully integrated with their peers in school. I'm wondering, what have you found to be the best predictors of a positive outcome in autism early intervention? Well, first thing I want to make clear is that that all children can profit from uh, the appropriate intervention. Uh, there are no kids who who don't improve. They improve to varying degrees depending upon three sets of factors. And the first set of those factors are child characteristics. The second is, does the intervention match the child? And the third are the degree to which the parents are committed to making this work. And those three things together uh, make all the difference. So, for example, uh, if a child... Uh, you know, has some language and does show some imitation, or at least they attempt to communicate, and they show social interest, those together tell you this child has a high likelihood of responding relatively quickly to intervention. By quickly, I don't mean a week or two. I mean months, and and they'll you should be, begin to see changes. Uh, the intervention really depends on the child. We have a scale called the autism responsiveness uh, scale and uh, intervention scale. And that scale will allow you to predict which combination of interventions is best for this particular child. And, you know, we did a little study. Hopefully it's going to come out published shortly. And it predicts very well. It predicts very well what what kind of intervention this child should receive. Uh, and like I said earlier, I think uh, there's a study been done in, in the United Kingdom at Southampton University by Bob Remington and his colleagues that shows that uh, parental commitment to the intervention and built willingness to stick with it and hang in there is, is uh, the third best predictor. So uh, your child can get, can get better. Uh, anyone who tells you your child is going to get cured probably isn't being entirely honest, but your child can sure as heck get a lot better and can lead a a surprisingly normal life uh, with the right kind of supports. That's that's right. And I'm assuming under child characteristics, one of the things that uh, would fall under that is challenging behavior and having families being able to understand how to address uh, reducing challenging behavior. Is, Is there a way that you work with families to do that? Absolutely. You know, the the first thing, when we sit down with a family for the very first time, uh, you know, the child's playing on the floor with one of our staff, and we're 
for talking and taking a history and finding out what's going on with him. Uh, the first thing they say is, you know, his tantrums, meltdowns, screaming, you name it, is driving us crazy. <laughs> it's driving us crazy. And so, you know, my heart goes out to him like, you know, it's a very difficult thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the first thing to do is to not dismiss their concern. Uh, it's a real legitimate concern. The second thing is that when we talk to parents, we say, well, you know, why does he need to do that? And, you know, this kind of a confused expression plays across their face. What do you mean, why does he need to do that? Well, children do things like this, this behavior challenges, tantrums, so forth, for a very good reason. Now, our task is to figure out what that very good reason is. And it may be that that's the only way they can get you to understand what they want or don't want. It may be that they're saying, this is too hard, I can't do it. Uh, it may be that you're asking me to do too much. I could do half that much, but I can't do the whole thing at one time. Uh, it may be they don't totally understand what you're saying to them and so forth. So the task before us is to how do we sort out what are the reasons this child finds it necessary to use this really not a very good way of finding out or getting the world to work for them, that namely having a tantrum or meltdown, when they could just simply, for example, say, I don't know how to do that. And if they don't know how to use words, they can use signs. Or if they don't know how to use signs, they can use pictures. So, you know, we can always find a way to help the child learn to communicate their needs. Well, you know, that's kind of an eye-opener to most parents because they think, they tend to think the child is willfully doing these things. You know, like the child wakes up in the morning and thinks to himself, how can I drive my parents crazy today? You know? <laughs> uh, of course, they don't do that. But that the parents kind of get that impression sometimes, and the teachers do in school, too. So the part of it is just to get them to rethink uh, the assumptions about why children behave that way. Right. And I, I think... Uh Behavioral interventions, oftentimes when you're looking at them, aren't necessarily intuitive for a parent or somebody observing uh, an early intervention session, for example, for the first time. They'll see that there's a lot of rewarding going along, and some of that, re- some of those rewards are being given for things that they believe the child should know how to do, want to do anyway. What's what's a good way of describing the reasoning behind the process to, to parents or others? Well, there's a couple of things. One of the first things is kids with autism are really creatures of habit. So if you can get them into the habit of doing something, and when they do that, they realize something good happens, uh, that's, you know, you're 90% of the way there. And so what we often do is ask them to do something they'll already do. And the reason we do that is because we want them to find out when they do what we ask them to do, something good happens. The way this works, this game with this, this funny adult that's in our house, the way this works is that we, he says something to me, and I do this, and then something good happens. Now, pretty soon you start asking him to do things he doesn't want to do and things that are pretty difficult. But now because he's used to the fact you've asked him this before, now he knows that this, this is really a kind of a good situation, and I can trust this person. When he says he's going to do something, he does it. Or when she says she's going to give me a treat when I finish my my work, then she gives it to me. And so part of the the process of using reinforcement is it's, it's basically a process of establishing a trusting relationship between the person, the parent or the therapist or the teacher, and the child. The child can trust you when you say you're going to do something. 
And the other thing about it is, is frankly, you know, uh, would you go to a job where you didn't get paid, you know? And right. as far as many of the things we ask children with autism to do, uh, they're hard work. Uh, you know, they seem like they're easy to us, but to the child, they may be very difficult. And so an additional incentive, even though we may say, well, they should, they should know how to do that anyway, or they should want to do that anyway, uh, well, why should a child with autism want to put on a shoe? I mean, I can't think of any reason. Uh, you know, so the, the task is to say, well, we need to give him a reason. And then once he's gotten used to it and he's doing this routine on his own, then sure, then we can stop using those kinds of external rewards. And, you know, once parents see it in operation, they get the hang of it and they say, well, yeah, this makes sense, you know. And, and then they just simply incorporate it into their daily life with their child. Right. I think individuals have their own style, their own way of seeing the world, their own way of seeing childhood. And I think maybe just like it's sometimes hard to teach a good therapist how to play with a child if it's not instinctive for them to be a good play partner for a child. For some parents, it might be hard for them to to really get comfortable with the idea of giving a lot of rewards for a child who, from their perception, isn't behaving well or isn't learning well. And right. you know, the idea that, you know, why are you spoiling him or why are you making it so easy for him? And like you said, once they figure out that, you know, there's, there's a means to an end and it, it really works out in the long run, they're not really sure how to buy into it right away. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could tell you endless stories, not with just little kids, but with adults, too, where uh, a guy who was very self-injurious and had autism, you know, I worked with him for about a year, 18 months, and, you know, in the beginning, he wouldn't do anything he was asked to do because he'd never learned that anything good ever happened. He, You know, in fact, everything bad happened most of the time. And by the time we were at the end of working with him, and he was doing extremely well, uh, I mean, I, I swear to God, I could have said, well, you know, it's time to run, to fly out the window, and he would have done it. And he had, he had come to trust us that when we asked him to do something, it was a reasonable thing to do, and something good was, was likely to happen, and we wouldn't do anything bad to hurt him or to cause him alarm. So uh, that's kind of the goal. The goal is to, tr to create that kind of relationship with the individual. Right, and sometimes it's a it's a long hard road, but as you said, it, it it pays off enormously if you can if you can stick with it and and ride out through all the goals and and all the hard work. I want to make sure um, that before you leave us, that we have an opportunity to hear from you. Um, what might be some good resources, some good websites? I know that you have a website with with some good stuff on it. Maybe be able to share with us some recommendations for families that are listening. Well. I'm obviously biased. I like my website. It's updated weekly with information that's specifically for parents and for practitioners. Uh, a new feature I've added in the last few months is a uh, parent perspectives, and I have parents actually from all over the world write short essays about their experience with autism. And then I have recent research on the website. The other one that's especially good is ASAT. Uh, let's see, I can't, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, ASAT Online. Uh, for the scientific uh, autism treatment. And uh, it's a very good uh, website, and, and they review and explain all the different interventions and what the evidence shows for those interventions and so forth. So uh, that's probably the other good one. I mean, I there have been some studies actually done about the reliability of, of uh, autism websites, uh, and they show pretty clearly that the, the most consistently reliable websites are government websites. 
Uh, so, for instance, the National Institute of Child Health, the National Institute of Mental Health, uh, U.S. Department of Education, uh, they all have autism sections on their websites, and they they reliably give good, good, good information. It may not be what the parents necessarily want to hear, <laughs> because sometimes... Uh, they would like to hear that some treatments that they prefer are effective when, in fact, they're not. But uh, they are, in fact, uh, usually the most trustworthy. And then the ASAT website and ours is, is a good one, too. Great. Well, thank you so much, uh, Travis. This was a, a great a great hour, a lot of good information. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing this with us. Uh, thank you so much. Good. I enjoyed talking to you, Bill. Same here. We'll be right back right after this break. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Parents of special needs individuals want to know if the care their loved ones are receiving is the best possible. We at Code Metro, developers of NPA Works, business management software for special needs providers, understand the unique necessities of running a successful organization. NPA Works helps free providers of tedious tasks like scheduling and insurance billing. Ensure your clinic is maximizing the time they give to your loved one. Ask if they use NPA Works. Visit us at npaworks.com to see how we can help. If you are considering how cloud computing might benefit your business, CenterBeam's Cloud Readiness Assessment can help. Our track record includes over a decade of service delivery experience, and our customer satisfaction leads the industry. We've moved hundreds of clients to the cloud and can help you identify the best strategy for your business. Call today to get a 25% discount on your assessment, 877-710-8880. The assessment is yours to keep and will provide specific insight into how the cloud can work for you. Call 877-710-8880 or visit centerbeam.com forward slash voice America. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Autism Spectrum Radio with Dr. Bill Freya. If you have a question or comment for the host or guests, please send an email to moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. That's moreinfo at autismtherapies.com. Now, back to the program. And welcome back to Autism Spectrum Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Freya. And my thanks to Dr. Travis Thompson for being with us today. He's done so much for individuals with disabilities. I was just honored when he agreed to come on to Autism Spectrum Radio. And again, for more information on Travis and his work, you can visit his website, travisithompson.net, travisithompson.net. And Travis also recommended uh, visiting the Association for Science in Autism Treatment. And that website is asatonline.org, asatonline.org. That is a great site. Uh, It's so important to choose a treatment approach with your child that's evidence-based. That is a treatment that's been well-researched, have research supporting what you should expect, 
how it should be performed, showing data that it works and that you're not just taking a risk on something that no one's bothered to research. And unfortunately, that happens quite a bit. There is tons of much, tons of information out there, so much information that it's very hard to, to manage on effective and evidence-based autism treatments. Uh, it makes it hard for parents to drill down to what they really need to know. Uh, parents have described the process as having to become a full-time researcher in order to just figure out what's best for their child. So, I mean, the, the tools that we're giving are important. I would check out these websites. I think Travis's book is also a good one. Uh, it's called Individualized Autism Intervention, and uh, it is available on Amazon. I checked before the show, and for $20, it's a, it's a great investment. I highly recommend it. Uh, one thing we try to do at AST is, is provide simple, straightforward tip sheets to help with specific topics. So if you're looking for a tip sheet on selecting a treatment provider, for example, I encourage you to print out our tip sheet on that topic. You can go to autismtherapies.com and click on resources. Uh, the tip sheets on the AST site are easy to print out. You can stick them on the fridge. There are other resources there as well. You should take a look. Uh, one thing you might have gathered from today's show is the importance of having a behavior analyst head up your child's program, and sometimes people want to know how to find one of those. If you're looking for a certified behavior analyst uh, in, in your area, you can search the BACB website, and you can search it by zip code. You can set the radius around your zip code, I think up to 400 miles if you like, and the board site is BACB.com, and that's a good place to start in researching finding someone. Uh, as Travis mentioned, he's heavily committed to understanding the best autism treatments, not only because of the 40-plus years he's put into science, but because he has a grandson on the spectrum. And his work is always top-notch, and, uh, and I think it's important to support people who are doing that kind of work. So please look into what he's doing and look into his book. There's another good reference uh, out there. Uh, Dr. Lynn Cagle has written several uh, books on understanding how to do play-based interventions. I recommend uh, searching uh, for the stuff that she's doing because she'll be our host next week. And she's done some phenomenal research on play-based naturalistic approaches, particularly pivotal response treatment. And she'll be talking with us a lot about that next week. She's co-authored several books, uh, not just on pivotal response treatments, but uh, she's written books uh, with a parent on parent uh, on parent issues and how to do these types of therapies at home and make them part of your life. And that really is the important part. And Travis mentioned that as well. Uh, parent involvement, parent commitment, and making it something that's natural for you, something that fits into your home routines, into the environments that are meaningful, where your child is going to learn the most and learn the quickest. And so uh, Lynn will be talking to us about how to do that. And uh, you can... Let me give you a tease. Well, let me let me tell you, if you want to study for next week, you can also go to the Kegel Autism Center page. I should mention that. It's on the UC Santa Barbara website. And the Kegel Autism Center is doing just a ridiculous amount of research and clinical work. Uh, so much is happening there. So much comes out of there. It's just unbelievable. And the Kegel Autism Center is on UC Santa Barbara campus. You can go to their website. And if you don't, don't go there for the information on autism treatments, you should just go to the UCSB site to see the beautiful pictures of the beach and the ocean and, and just how amazing it is there. I have four degrees from UC Santa Barbara on my wall, so I can attest to the fact that it's a hard place to leave once you fall in love with it. Let me give you a two-minute tease on next week's topic with, with Dr. Kegel. 
Uh, she'll be joining us to discuss pivotal response approaches to treating young children with autism. She and her husband, Dr. Robert Cagle, were two of the pioneers in the area of applied behavior analytic treatment approaches that were naturalistic or play-based in nature. And actually, exactly 25 years ago, they published an article called A Natural Language Teaching Paradigm for Nonverbal Autistic Children. And that was in the prestigious Journal of Autism and Developmental Disorders. And that kicked off 25 years of research on how to motivate children with autism to be engaged in the learning process. And that is the most important thing. A very important factor that Lynn Cagle has been focusing on is generalization. And as you might guess, children with autism tend to be more likely to understand what they are learning and be able to use the new skills outside of that treatment environment when they're taught in a fun way, in a natural way. And that usually means that the therapist is playing with the child, rewarding them within the play that they're doing, rather than than, than teaching them in a more analog or discrete trial format where rewards for talking might be a tasty treat that's not related to the words that are being prompted to they're being prompted to say so do you talk only to get tasty treats i hope not Uh, generally you're talking to get your needs met and those needs are introduced within play and the therapist uh, responds in a very naturalistic way within the play for the child to understand that this is how you communicate, this is why, and you can do it anywhere, that there are people anywhere that you're interested in communicating. And play-based interventions were not the norm for ABA treatments 25 years ago when the Kegels were doing uh, this landmark research. Other researchers were also exploring naturalistic treatment approaches, but none got the methods into the mainstream as powerfully as, as Lynn and Bob Kegel did with uh, pivotal response training, which really most parents who are looking into treatments know about. Uh, today, there are still many agencies around the country that don't subscribe to a play-based approach, and they choose to do more traditional discrete trial a la LOVAS, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's still an effective intervention. But as Travis mentioned today, it's ideal to have a treatment provider who at least, number one, knows how to use different ABA approaches, and number two, has a working understanding of when to use one versus the other based on the child's needs, based on the child's learning style and the progress that they're making. So without the work of the Kegels and the other researchers who were exploring play-based treatments in the 80s, we might not have the choices that we have today. So I encourage you to listen next week as we learn more about what's happening at the Kegel Autism Center and learn more about Lynn Kegel. Let me quickly remind you that it's time to enroll in AST summer camp. My wife, Ricky, and I are busy trying to figure out what to do with our three children this summer. So I know you're probably doing the same kind of research that we are. AST has a fantastic program in several of our locations, and I encourage you to to sign up early. Space is limited. And you can see pictures and read all about the programs on our website at autismtherapies.com. And I also don't want you to forget about uh, the the contest that we're doing that's going to be uh, wrapping up after this week. This is our last week of uh, identifying parents who are doing amazing things and rewarding them with a spa treatment. So you can find a link on our show page as well as our website at autismtherapies.com. We do want to hear about those unsung heroes in your life, and we do want to reward them for being outstanding parents. I hope you enjoyed the show's topic today. I look forward to exploring play-based treatment approaches with you next week. Do the research, learn about the Kegels program, send me your questions, email them, to us at moreinfoautismtherapies.com. And I'll try my best to work those uh, questions into uh, our discussion with Dr. Lynn Cagle. So until then, this is Bill Freya with Autism Spectrum Radio. Have a great week. Talk to you next week.
We hope you've had some questions about autism answered this week. Autism Spectrum Radio can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Please join your host, Dr. Bill Freya, for another edition next week. 